Great. Thank you so much, first of all, for coming to this seminar. Um, it's great that you're interested enough in youth ministry and in children and young people to um, take time out to be here and think a little bit about this stuff. Um, Don, introduce me. My name's Peter Wright. I'm the youth worker in Hill Street Presbyterian Church in Lurgan. Um, I've been doing that now for eight years. It'll be my ninth year starting in September. Um, I guess I have a little bit of a disclaimer at the start of this seminar. It's called Establishing Holy Habits. Um, please, please, please don't be under any illusions. The young people in Hill Street are not like the model example of young people who have nailed it when it comes to holy habits and the spiritual disciplines. Like most of the young people in your churches, I imagine they are a very mixed bag. Um, we have some young people... I think, we, I think we have sound, but it's just a bit quiet. We have some young people who are really keen and enthusiastic Christians. They really want to grow. Um, we have lots of young people who are fairly apathetic at times about the Christian life. And we have many young people who are really struggling enormously with maintaining a regular devotional life or quiet time or whatever you want to call it. Um, some of them also really struggle with church. They do feel a general sense of belonging to church. Um, but lots of the time they often find understanding what is actually going on there pretty difficult. Um, let, me, let me read to you a couple of different scenarios of some of the young people who come along to our church. This is, um, this is kind of true and a little bit made up at the same time. Okay, They aren't their real names or their real ages. But uh, I'm sure if you listen to this you can identify with this yourself and you can think of some similar young people in your context. Let me tell you about Mark, first of all. He's 17 and he's a Christian and he comes regularly to youth group. He's been doing that since um, Easter time. He's been regularly attending Sunday services. He normally comes on a Sunday evening because it's easier for him to get a lift to church on a Sunday night. He loves hanging out at the end of the church service. That's a large factor in why he comes to church. He's still a very young believer. He's really keen to be discipled, but he needs help in that. Um, what happens in youth group and in church and in a scripture union in school is all really formative for him, but none of it is quite enough to help him grow as a mature disciple of the Lord Jesus. And so like an increasing number of young people his age, Mark really needs investment of relationship. He needs people to get alongside him who are going to help him figure out what it actually means to walk with the Lord Jesus as a Christian. He needs adults who will walk alongside him and model holy habits to him. Then let me tell you about Shannon, age 16. She is also a Christian. She comes to church and youth group as well. She's been brought up within the congregation. She is a group of friends who are involved in church with her. She goes to Scripture Union every so often in her school. Most of her friends do call themselves Christians. She's pretty good relationships with her small group leaders and youth fellowship, albeit these relationships could be a bit more intentional in terms of some one-to-one -one stuff. But recently she's been making some bad choices in her life around partying and alcohol. It's been painful to watch her hear the input of wiser, godly Christian leaders and choose to ignore that input. Part of the challenge with her has been to try and address some of the issues of the heart in her life and not just her external behaviour. That's meant some difficult but honest conversations between her and her leaders. Um, they've given us an insight into what she really believes and where she really is as a Christian. And she has lots of challenges in her life at the moment. But what she needs again is older, wiser Christians who will draw alongside her show her what it looks like to develop godly and holy habits so that she can then live as a mature Christian in the world. There are other examples, but I'm sure that you can think of young people like both Mark and Shannon in your own context, who at some level want to live for Jesus and yet also face the challenge of living for him faithfully in a world that is increasingly hostile to him and his gospel. So what I want us to do this morning is to think about those young people. As we think about everything that we're going to talk about in establishing holy habits, have the picture of Mark and Shannon or those young people in your church in your head because this is really about them. It's about discipleship. And so if you're a parent, a church leader or a youth leader, I want you to be thinking about this through the lens of the young people that you're working with. 
And if you're here as a young person, then I want you to think about how it is that you can use the means of grace that God has given you to grow as a Christian. Here's a little bit of an outline of what we're going to look at this morning. Um, We'll think, first of all, a little bit about the problems that there are when it comes to young people and devotional life. Um, Think a little bit about the lay of the land when it comes to holy habits. And then we'll spend most of our time, I hope, thinking about the solution to that problem. The solution comes in two parts. To think a little bit about the spiritual power of habit, first of all, why habits are really important. Um, We'll think a little bit about how habits work and how to foster good habits, especially. And then we'll think a little bit about some of the practicalities, some of the real things that we can maybe implement in our churches and in our youth groups when we're ministering to young people. Um, If we have time, we'll do the fourth one. Whose job is this? Who's responsible for all of this? But if we don't, we'll just skip straight to the end and we'll have some questions and answers. So um, that's what we're going to do this morning. If you want to sneak out now, go. (laughs) But please, please hang around and think about this stuff with me. So let's think about, about the problem, first of all. Um, one of the magazines that I subscribe to is um, Premier Youth Work magazine. Lots of the time what I read in it really frustrates me, but lots of the time there's stuff that's really, really helpful and significant. Um, one of the most significant articles or publications that they produced was actually from 2015. They did a piece of research, a very extensive piece of research, that looked at the spiritual habits of different young people. They surveyed 293 young people from right across the denominational spectrum. Around 90% of those surveyed identified as Christian. The vast majority of them were interviewed from the UK and mainland, but I think the picture is fairly similar here actually in Northern Ireland. Survey covered five key areas, young people and youth group, young people and parents, young people and sex, young people and evangelism, and then young people and personal devotion. And so for our purposes this morning, I want to think about that last part of the survey and the data from the personal devotion section of it. Um, There are all sorts of caveats that come with data when you come to look at it like this. The context is different. It's two years old now, which is a lifetime in youth culture. But actually, I still think there's stuff that we can learn from the numbers. So what did it tell us about Bible reading? You'll see from the screen that... 50% of those young people who identify as Christians don't read their Bible more than once a month. So I'll say that again. 50% of the young people who identify as Christians don't read their Bible more than once a month. About 33% of young people said they read their Bible a couple of times a week or more. Um, We actually replicated this survey in Hill Street. We adapted it a little bit, did it with our own young people. The numbers were incredibly similar So exactly 33% again said that they read their Bible a couple of times a week or more. 9% of the young people who come to Hill Street regularly read their Bible every single day. That's less than 1 in 10 or just about 1 in 10. With over 40% saying that they read their Bible once a month or less. When it comes to prayer, the picture is a little bit better. Young people seem to find prayer easier than reading the Bible. 81% say they pray a couple of times a week or more. 38% of that number saying that they pray every single day. So the picture isn't that surprising, but I would suggest that it is alarming. The numbers are quite encouraging when it comes to prayer, but numbers in and of themselves aren't always an accurate gauge of maturity. It's impossible for the survey, for example, to tell us what it is that young people are actually praying about. Um, It doesn't tell us anything about how young people are engaged in corporate prayer with other members of the church family. Um, But I think the survey highlights a problem, namely that personal devotion, developing holy habits, is actually a huge, huge struggle for the young people in our churches. Even those who look keen and enthusiastic and full of life, if they're only reading the Bible once a month or less, then it doesn't matter how enthusiastic they look, spiritually they are dying if they're only reading the Bible once a month or less. So there is a huge problem in our churches if the data is correct. So why is it a challenge? Why is it a problem? Um, If you have a Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians for a second. I'm going to get you to do a little bit of work here, actually. Um, It won't be too hard, I promise. I want to read from 2 Corinthians and chapter 10. 
and the first five verses. Paul's writing here to the church at Corinth and he says, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, um, That's fairly complicated and points, but what I want you to do is, with the person beside you, just for literally two minutes, is to talk a little bit about two things. Okay, I think there are two things in those verses that Paul tells us are absolutely central to gospel ministry. There are two things that we have to do in gospel ministry. Um, see if you can figure out what they are. Talk to the person beside you. Um, I'll give you a clue. Verses four and five are pretty important, okay? So talk to the person beside you about that. Hopefully you have some answers. If you don't, that's okay. Any thoughts? What is it that we're to do in gospel ministry? Don't be shy. Yeah, we're to, we're to pray. Yeah, what else? Be prepared, okay? There's two words that I'm looking for in particular. They're on the screen. You can look at the... Look at the answers, I guess. Two things that we're to do in gospel ministry. We're to destroy things and we're to take things captive, okay? So I'm not just making that up. Paul himself says this. Um, what are we to destroy? We're to destroy strongholds at the end of verse 4. And then into verse 5, we're to destroy arguments and pretension that sets itself up against the word of God. So Paul is saying that part of our job in gospel ministry is effectively to take a wrecking ball to the ideas and strongholds of the world that oppose the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is part of the job of gospel ministry, okay? But then part of the job of gospel ministry is also to take things captive. What is it that we have to take captive? Verse 5, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So it's by taking captive the thoughts of people that we make them obedient to Jesus. The task of making disciples then is not just a pragmatic one. It is actually deeply embedded in the mind. What has all this got to do with young people and developing holy habits? Well, very simply, unless we are teaching young people to wrestle with the Bible for themselves, to diligently search the scriptures, to be steeped in the word of God, then we will fail in raising a generation who are able to destroy things and take things captive. Someone was to ask you, what do you want the church to be like in 20 or 30 or 40 years time in this land? Then I hope, amongst other things, your answer to that would be that you want the church to remain faithful to the clear teaching of the Bible. That you want the church to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. You want a church that is going to get the gospel right, first of all, and a church then that is going to get the gospel out. Those are the two things that we've got to make sure we're doing well. And if we're going to be successful in doing that, then we need to raise young people to be leaders of that church who will be well-versed in practicing the spiritual disciplines, people who will read the Bible for themselves, who will be praying regularly so that they can destroy the arguments of the world and take captive thoughts and hearts for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a history buff, you might be interested in this. The Duke of Wellington at the time of the Battle of Waterloo was reported to have said that the Battle of Waterloo was won on the playing fields of Eton College. The Battle of Waterloo was won in the playing fields of Eton. The quote is perhaps apocryphal, but the insinuation was that it was British upbringing and education that ultimately enabled them to have victory over Napoleon and the French. You know something? Our cultural Waterloo, the battle that we face as Christians, will be one for faithfulness and orthodoxy and the authority of scripture that will come in many many different guises 
but I'm convinced that the implications for both church and society are going to be really, really significant. And I'm more and more convinced that the battle for Waterloo, our cultural Waterloo, will be won and lost, not in the fields of Eton College, but in our churches and perhaps particularly within our youth groups. If the church is going to be faithful in 40 years' time, what we're doing in youth ministry now really, really matters. How we're teaching children and young people to engage with orthodox biblical Christianity is absolutely crucial. And so whenever we come to thinking about holy habits, the stakes are incredibly high. In fact, I'd want to argue that they have never been higher. The cost of raising biblically illiterate generations could be really severe for the church. And so we must do everything that we can to guard against that. And I think it begins with recognizing that there is a problem in the church here. And we've got to do all that we can to address it. So that's, that's the first thing. There's a problem. Let's think then about the solution to that problem. Um, think back to those, those young people that we mentioned at the start. Mark and Shannon and others like them in your churches. How do we get them to actually read the Bible and pray? How do we get them to do anything sometimes, right? Um, You could bribe them, right? You could bribe them with faster Wi-Fi and more data. You could threaten them with slower Wi-Fi and less data. But actually, we need to think practically. How is it that we're going to motivate these people who are saying that they're Christians and yet they're only reading the Bible once a month or less? How do we get them to engage in the spiritual disciplines? Um, There's a French author who has an amazing name. Antoine Dusson Expéry. He's great just to quote for his name, if nothing else. But he said, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the immensity of the sea. There's something incredibly powerful about that idea, I think. We can take it and apply it to what we're thinking about today. If we want young people to read the Bible and to pray then perhaps we need to not so much set them tasks and work to do, but to teach them to long for the glory and the majesty and the wonder and the splendor of the living God. Perhaps the best way to help young people read the Bible and pray is not actually by telling them, look, you need to read the Bible and pray. It's by telling them about who God is and all that he has done and all that he is doing in his world. Of course, there's a bit of a catch-22 situation there because the only way that we can teach young people about the splendor of God is actually by immersing them in the scriptures. And so we have to recognize that the reality of living as a disciple will mean developing godly and holy habits and encouraging young people to do the same. I'm convinced that part of the solution to the problem that we've just mentioned is helping young people rediscover the spiritual power of habit Habits are really, really important in the Christian life and we underestimate them at our peril. Depending on which research you read, forming good or virtuous habits can take anywhere between 21 and 66 days. Forming bad habits don't take very long at all. You don't have to learn how to pick your nose or leave the toilet seat up if you're a man or procrastinate on your phone. You just do those things. They come naturally to you. But actually forming a good habit takes time. It takes intentionality on our part. And it takes discipline. On top of that, forming good habits rarely happens alone. We need other people to help us form good habits. And forming good habits rarely happens without a certain amount of failure along the way. There's one writer who has influenced my thinking, particularly in this area. It's a man called James K.A. Smith. He is an American author. Um, He's written a really interesting and helpful book called You Are What You Love. It's subtitled The Spiritual Power of Habit. And in that book, he talks about how we are creatures of habit. God knows this since he created us. And thus our gracious, redeeming God meets us where we are by giving us spirit-empowered, heart-calibrating, habit-forming practices to retrain our loves. So think back to those young people, right? They are creatures of habit. God has made them that way. 
and in his grace God has given them and us spirit-empowered, heart-calibrating, habit-forming practices to retrain our loves. Retrain our loves is just a fancy way of saying to change us. God has given us habits in order to change us. And actually I think there's something to be said here then for framing young people's expectations for how God will actually speak to them. One of the other pieces of data in that youth work survey was around young people and the church. The highest polling answer given to the question, why do young people come to church, was a great answer. They answered to experience God, right? Unless you're A, dead, or B, not a Christian, I hope that that's your answer, right? Why do you come to church? Hopefully at some level to experience and meet with the living God. Now, there are all sorts of questions about how that happens. Those are big theological questions. We're not going to get into that this morning. But I do think it's important to point out, as far as young people are concerned, on the one hand, there are a large percentage of them who want to meet with and experience God, right? They want that. And yet, on the other hand, most of them aren't reading their Bible any more than once a month. So there is clearly a disconnect in their heads between experiencing God and reading the Bible. Now, if you're an evangelical Christian with a high view of the scriptures, then that should alarm you. Because actually there is a link, an inextricable link between reading the Bible regularly and experiencing and meeting God. In fact, I would want to say that the primary way that we meet with and experience God is through reading his word. And so there is something here about shaping young people's expectations when it comes to meeting with God. Of course there can be moments, right, of special intimacy with the Lord that are not normal per se, okay? Um, Some of you might have heard of the, the great American theologian Jonathan Edwards. He is an incredibly conservative theologian. Um, This is a long and old and wordy quote, but I think it's absolutely superb. He talks about um, a time in his life when he had special moments of incredible intimacy with God, right? Moments that I imagine on a spiritual level, very few of us experience something like this, okay? He said, once I rode into the woods for my health. That's when you know it's an old quote, right? Once I rode into the woods for my health to walk for divine contemplation and prayer, I had a view that for me was extraordinary of the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man and his wonderful, great, full, pure and sweet grace and love and meek and gentle condescension. The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and conception which continued as near as I can judge about an hour which kept me to the greater part of time in floods of tears and weeping aloud. I felt an ardency of soul to be what I know not otherwise how to express, emptied and annihilated, to lie in the dust and to be full of Christ alone, to love him with a holy and pure love, to trust in him, to live upon him, to serve and follow him, to be perfectly sanctified and made pure with the divine and heavenly purity. I have several other times had very had views very much of the same nature, and which have had the same effects, right? Now, I know that's lofty and hard to listen to, right? But whenever I read that, I think, who doesn't want to experience that, right? Again, unless you're dead or not a Christian, who doesn't want to experience that? Who doesn't want that for Mark and Shannon and the young people in our youth groups? I do. I want my young people to experience something of the intimacy of God at that level. And yet, right, the reality is, and Edwards, I think, would espouse this view as well, is that that is not the normal day-to-day experience of meeting with God. The normal day-to-day experience of meeting with God is much less dramatic than that. It happens through habits. We speak to him in prayer. We hear him speak to us through the Bible. We meet with other believers at events like this, or perhaps more importantly, in the church. And we eat the Lord's Supper together. Those are the ordinary means of grace that God gives us, that God gives our young people in order for them to grow into the people that he wants us to be. And so if we're to see some success in all of this, then we need to help young people understand the power of habit. Okay, that's really, really important. We have time to to tell the story about Martin Luther and his barber. I don't know how many of you know 
the story about Martin Luther and Peter the barber, actually. Um, you'll hear lots about Martin Luther in the coming weeks and months, 500th year anniversary of the Reformation. I hope that someone somewhere along the line tells you the story of him and Peter the barber. Um, Martin Luther had this barber who cut his hair. I mean, how hard could it be? He was a monk. How hard was it to cut his hair? Like, I don't know. But he met with Peter the barber and um, Peter the barber was really, really struggling to pray. Um, and so he asked Martin Luther, you got to help me out here. I'm really struggling to pray. Uh, and so Martin Luther went away and he wrote him a really, really long letter. You can access it uh, for free online. It's become a very popular little, I suppose, 10 or 11 page booklet on prayer and in that he spoke of his love for the psalms and helping him to pray but he also spends most of his letter unpacking how he himself luther prayed his way through the lord's prayer he prayed his way through the ten commandments and he prayed his way through the apostles creed that formed the diet of martin luther's prayer life and for him those things brought focus to his prayers they helped him when he was really struggling to pray. And actually, over a long period of time, the discipline of praying those things, the habit of praying those things, actually warmed his heart so that he wanted to pray more and more. The other big thing that Luther emphasized in his letter to Peter the barber was that, Peter, when you're struggling to pray, the most important thing that you can do is get yourself to church when you're struggling with the spiritual disciplines, go to church. Why? Because church is where you're going to hear the Psalms read and sung. Church is where you're going to hear prayers of adoration and confession, prayers of thanksgiving and intercession. Church is where you're going to hear the Bible read. Church is where you're going to hear the Bible taught and explained. Church is where you're going to hear the Christ of the Bible exalted and worshipped. When you're struggling spiritually, get to church, Peter, was what he said in his letter. And actually, when it comes to our young people, I think that's a really important thing that we've got to communicate to them. When they are finding it hard to pray and to read the Bible, church is where they need to be. It might be a struggle for them. It might be hard going at times. But over a long period of time, I'm not talking over weeks here, I'm talking over years, right? Over a long period of time, church has the potential to shape and reshape them even when it feels like not much is happening. And so I think it's really important that we give young people a healthy ecclesiology, a healthy love for the church and for corporate worship, the habit of being there regularly over a long period of time can be deeply formative for young people. It certainly has been in my life, right? I, I went talking with my mum about this on the way up in the car. I went to church every Sunday, twice, for as long as I can remember, right? And lots of the times when I was going along, I was sitting beside my wee brother and I was picking my fantasy league football team, right? I wasn't that worried about... I'm not still doing that, right? Um, but I wasn't that worried about what was going on at the front, to tell you the truth. And yet somewhere along the line, things changed for me. I can't really pinpoint when it was, but somewhere along the line, I stopped writing down my Premier League football team and I started listening to what was going on at the front. And I have notebooks upon notebooks full of sermons from whenever I was 13, 14, 15, 16. It maybe coincides with around the time when Leeds were relegated from the Premier League. But actually the, the habit of going to church was really, really formative for me. So that's the first two things. Problem, first part of the solution. I'll maybe stop just here for any questions that anybody has. If not, we'll, we'll keep going. There, there is another really interesting story about how, um, how Peter the barber comes to his end, but you can ask me that at the very end of the seminar if you're particularly interested, okay? Um, so we'll, we'll keep going, right? Um, the solutions then, part two, we'll think about some of the, the practicalities, right? So we've, we've thought about recognizing the importance of habit, not underestimating that. I think that's really significant. Um, some of these suggestions have come from my own thinking and experience working with young people. Um, some of them, the best ones, have come from my conversations with other youth leaders. Um, some of them have actually come with my conversations with young people themselves who have told me a little bit about what's been helpful or unhelpful for them when it comes to thinking about spiritual disciplines. Um, so there's seven suggestions here, right, because it's like a perfect biblical number. So um, 
there are, I'm sure there are more than this, okay? Um, so the first thing is the importance of recognizing the reality of fatigue when it comes to developing holy habits. Um, I think this is particularly important for young people when it comes to Bible reading in particular. Um, the reality is that for them and for many of us, fatigue at some point is going to be a problem. Let's not pretend that it's not going to be a problem. Let's be realistic about it at the start. Fatigue is going to be an issue. And so what we've got to do is figure out how do we manage fatigue? How do we help young people manage fatigue whenever it gets tough? I think one of the things that we've got to do is to be realistic and recognizing that young people will fail in reading the Bible every single day. There will be periods of their life where they go weeks upon weeks upon weeks where they don't read the Bible. What do we do when young people find themselves in that sort of a rut? We've got to encourage them not to give up, right? What's success in Bible reading? I think success is not giving up, actually, right? It's very easy for young people to miss one day, one week, two weeks and think, stuff that, I'm not going back to it. We've got to encourage them to not give up when it comes to daily Bible reading. Fatigue is normal. It's going to happen. How do we teach them to manage it is the issue. Secondly then, to encourage them not to go it alone, okay? Um, So by far the hardest way to maintain a regular discipline time with God is to keep that aspect of your life completely to yourself. Now, of course, there has to be a personal aspect to it, okay? But I think we should encourage young people as much as we can to, to read the Bible together, to be praying with a friend or a group of friends, or at the very least, if they're not going to read together, to be having conversations with other Christians so that they can talk together about what it is that they're learning about God. That might be a Christian friend. It might be a parent. We've got to not think that young people can't talk to their parents about what they're reading. It's really important. It might be you as a youth leader. Um, it might be someone else, a Christian teacher, for example. Um, but I think there's, there's a real merit in encouraging young people to do this with others. There's ample, ample biblical material to support that idea. But it's just common sense as well, isn't it? It helps us to keep going whenever we've got other people who are going to spur us on and keep us accountable. Third thing then... Um, I try and encourage people as much as possible to start small when it comes to Bible reading. Um, It's really easy for young people who are enthusiastic and young and maybe coming off the back of something like New Horizon or a youth weekend away or wherever they've been over the summer to think, right, I'm going to read the Bible flat out. I'm going to read through the whole Bible in a year, right? People get like that in January, right? They're like, I haven't read the Bible for weeks, but it comes to January the 1st, they're like, right, Bible in a year, I'm going to do it. I'm not knocking that, right? I'm sure that that is possible for people to go from not reading the Bible hardly at all to read through it in a year. Um, I'm just not sure that it's that realistic for most young people, Um, especially if they've never read much of anything before. Then I think it's really important to encourage them to start small, to set realistic goals, to finish something first, and to have a bit of a sense of achievement having done that And hopefully that motivates them to keep going. I remember um, my younger brother with some of his friends um, starting at one point, going from not reading the Bible much at all, starting to read through cover to cover, right? Which is like trying to read through the whole Bible in a year. Um, I think they started off swimmingly, right? They nailed the first couple of chapters of Genesis. They got to Noah's Ark and they're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard this story before. I know this one. And then they get to chapter 10 of Genesis and the table of nations and Noah's sons and it's just a big list of genealogy and they're like, stuff this, have no idea what's going on. And it went really well for nine chapters. And then they get to Genesis chapter 10 and the wheels come off a little bit. So what I encourage people to do is to start small, um, maybe start with a gospel. Mark's gospel is the shortest, it is the easiest to read, it is fast-paced, it is all about Jesus, it gets you right to the heart of living as a disciple. And you can read it in probably a couple of hours if you want to, but you can also read it over the space of a couple of weeks. The time doesn't really matter to tell you the truth, but getting to the end of it gives you a bit of a sense of accomplishment. I've done something, I've read a whole book of the Bible, and that maybe then motivates you to keep going and read a little bit more. So I encourage people to start small. 
Um, this was a suggestion of a, a friend of mine who's been in the Christian road for a long, long time. Um, he has learned lots about what has worked and what hasn't worked about spending time with God. Um, he finds it incredibly helpful to sit in the same place at the same time each day to do his Bible reading. He only does this Monday to Friday. He gives himself Saturday and Sunday to catch up on anything that he's missed or maybe particularly long parts of the Bible that he didn't get to read through in as much depth as he would have liked. Um, he finds the discipline of being in the same place at the same time really helpful, especially in the times where he's not really feeling it when it comes to reading the Bible and praying. Um, I really admire him for being able to do that. It gives him a huge focus to his life and he would be a big advocate of that. There's there's a brilliant clip actually on YouTube of Bill Hybels talking about this. Um, if you search for Bill Hybels, I think it's like Coffee with God or something like that. He talks about um, a man in his church who over years and years and years and years and years, every morning sat in the same chair um, and his life was completely transformed in that chair as he read the Bible and prayed. It goes through basically his whole adult life right up until his death and his wife talking about how his whole life was changed in that chair. It's a brilliant, really helpful little clip to watch sometime. So, yeah, time and a place can be helpful for people. Um, fifth one, I think this is really important, right? Um, I almost put this at number one, but um, reading the Bible in context is crucial, I think, to helping young people read it over the long haul. Um, sometimes it's really easy for young people to read the Bible and completely misunderstand it and misapply it. Easy for any Christian to do that, not just young people. Um, but I think helping them have a, a working understanding of the big story of the Bible, how the different bits and pieces fit together, can be really, really important. Um, and also, I think it helps them then from misapplying probably unknown or more difficult parts of the Bible. Um, one of the things I find in my experience with young people is that they can be very quick to, to read themselves straight into the story of Bible stories as if they are the first person that it's talking about. Um, I'm not sure that that's the best way to read the Bible all the time. So classic example, right? When you read the story of David and Goliath, how do you hear it talked about all the time? People read themselves into the story as David, right? And we, we take the application, God can help you conquer your giants, right? But actually, I'm not really sure that that's the way we're meant to read that story. Who are we in that story? We are the Israelites out on the hill who are lost and in need of a rescuer who will come and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And God provides that rescuer here in King David, but ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So it's really easy to read the Bible out of context and then to misunderstand how we're meant to actually apply it to our lives. Um, a couple of things that I find helpful for helping young people understand the Bible in context. A good study Bible is helpful. Um, the one that I encourage people to buy all the time, and I'm sure it's in the 10 of those tent out there, is the ASV Student Study Bible. There is the big fat ASV Adult Bible. There's a student version that's slightly less fat, um, but is really, really helpful for them in terms of giving them an introduction to each book, where it comes in the Bible, and there are little sort of snippets here and there of what's going on at the time in the world and all the rest of it. So it's really helpful for people. Um, the second thing that I use with young people is there's a website called The Bible Project. I'm sure some of you might have heard of that. They have some of the best little videos that I've ever seen in terms of introducing Bible books to young people. Um, so even books that are really obscure that young people haven't a clue about, Lamentations, for example, right? They have a little video that will introduce it in four or five minutes. It will set it in the bigger context of the canon of Scripture. It will help them understand, right, here's what's actually happening. Here's where I can take some of these principles and apply it to our lives. I'm a big, big fan of the Bible Project. Sixthly then, um, to have a culture where the Bible and prayer are valued, um, what I mean by that, I mean that we should have a wider church culture where we have a really high view of the Bible and prayer. So if, if we're thinking about Mark and Shannon again, right? If we're wanting them to be young people who will grow up to love the Bible and to read it, then one of the best things that we can do for them is to create a church culture where we communicate to them that we love the Bible and we love praying, right? So there are lots of different ways that we can do that. Lots of very simple ways that sometimes we can overlook. Um, some things that are important, I think, are 
actually having a Bible reading in our church service is really, really important. Having a time where we, we come together and we say, this is the word of God, and so you can trust it completely, is a really good thing to do in a church service. It's also a really good thing to do in our youth events and in our youth fellowship. So whenever I'm speaking at, at Relate in our youth fellowship back home in church, I always, every single week, take time, we're going to read the passage together. So if we're preaching through, we, we just did the story of Joseph recently, we'll read Genesis chapter 40 here and see what it's saying about Joseph and his brothers. Um, and actually, as I'm doing that, I tell them, find Genesis chapter 40. And I don't start the reading until they have opened the Bible and found it for themselves. And if they don't have a Bible, I have a box of Bibles and they come and get it. They do the walk of shame, come and get a Bible and go and sit down. They open it for themselves and they read it and follow along what's happening. We're creating a culture where we're saying, this is important. This is the only thing in this whole night that is going to be perfect. So let's engage with it, okay? And there's a picture on the screen. I love this. I screenshot it when it happened. Al Mohler is a Southern Baptist um, minister and um, I think maybe president of a college in the States. He, he took a picture of what happened in one of his um, Sunday services. He said, Parents note a great encouragement and worship this morning. A wonderful, faithful family sitting together. Sixth grade boy with Bible open to text during preaching. It matters, right? You kind of feel sorry for the family that, you know, the wee lad was like, doing his fantasy football team or going nuts over in the corner somewhere. But actually, I think that's a really, really good example of what we should be encouraging children and young people to do in corporate worship, right? Don't let them sit and play Angry Birds in their iPad. There's no point in that. Encourage them to open the Bible and to follow along with what is happening. Create a culture where these things are really, really valued. Same is true with prayer, right? That we, we don't just tell them, you know, say your prayers, that we encourage them to listen to prayers as they're done from the front. I always have a, a prayer from the front in what we're doing in youth fellowship. We always have a time of praying together in small groups. We're trying to communicate that these things matter. Praying together is part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. Last thing then on the practicalities, you'll be glad to hear, um, is of course to be doing this yourself, right? Um, if you're going to be someone who is teaching children and young people about the importance of holy habits, then we've got to be developing them ourselves. Um, leadership, amongst other things, is about being the destination at which you want other people to arrive. And so if you want Mark and Shannon and the young people in your churches to be regularly reading the Bible, to be regularly praying, then you've got to be doing that, not just talking about it but modeling it to them, to have people in your life who are going to encourage you in this, help you in it, to have people in your life who will spur you on whenever you're messing it up and failing in it as well. Um, I think that's a simple but really important piece of practical advice. Um, there are a few different resources actually as well um, that I find helpful in working with young people. Um, there are tons of resources, right? I've only listed three for each. I'm sure there are millions more out there. Um, the first one, the picture in the top left there, is um, of Engage Bible Reading Notes. They are published by the Good Book Company. Don't tell 10 of those, okay? Um, you can get that. There's 20 of them um, for £40 on the Good Book Company website. And the thing I love about these is that over the course of those 20 little booklets, it takes you through every single chapter of the Bible, right? Um, they are small. They're only like a page each. They are very manageable. It is not overwhelming for teenagers. It is incredibly accessible. Um, and for 40 quid, I think it's an absolute steal, right? Think of what you spend 40 quid on. Your phone a month, probably. Um, I think it's a worthwhile investment for parents. Second one is something I've used from time to time on my phone. Um, is it's an app called He Reads Truth. There is a She Reads Truth as well. Um, they are brilliant. It's a free app, but you have to then pay for the different Bible studies that are in the app, depending on what you want. So I've just finished one on Hosea. Um, it's brilliant because it's very easy to read. You just scroll through it. There's a little commentary on it each day that's written really devotionally and brilliantly. And then for young people who are calling, kind of all into social media, there's a cool little picture that they can share on their Instagram and show off to everybody that they've actually had a quiet time, right? Um, so I think He Reads Truth and She Reads Truth is really, really great. Content-wise, it's superb. 
um, and it's it's quirky and cool and accessible. Um, third one is the Bible Project. I've already mentioned. Um, please do check out the Bible Project's website. It is superb. You'll spend like a whole afternoon on it. It's really great. Um, then resources for helping young people pray. Um, this girl, Rachel Jones, I'm not sure if these books are out there or not, has written three little books now um, on five things to pray. I think there's five things to pray for your church, five things to pray maybe for the people you love or for your family or something like that. And then there's five things to pray for your world is the latest one that she has just published. These are thin little books. Again, they're really accessible for young people as well. Um, and it just helps them, I think. Again, it's that habit idea. It helps them to get into the habit of praying for things over a long period of time. Um, something else which I use, and I know this isn't maybe for everybody, maybe not for young people even all the time, but I'm sure young people can use this, um, is Matthew Henry, the old um, Welsh preacher, um, has a website that you can subscribe to where you get prayers sent into your inbox every day. Um, they are different um, genres, I guess, of prayers, and they are brilliant because they are so rooted in the Bible. They help you to pray through different parts of scripture and um, so that just comes into my inbox every day i read through it flick through it and pray quickly as i do that um, and then the other thing that i would use as well both in book format and in email into my inbox are prayers by this guy called scotty smith he blogs at the gospel coalition and um, he has written an absolutely superb book on um daily prayers 365 of them so you can just pick them up whenever if you haven't read it for a few weeks you can um, pick up the appropriate date but they are brilliant because they are so steeped in the gospel and always remind us of what it means to be a disciple as well we're not going to have time to to finish the last one but that's okay um i will skip through all of that other stuff and we'll go to um questions if you have any if you don't then you can finish five minutes early and go get more tea or coffee or lunch or whatever it is that you you want to do has anybody got any questions about anything at all yeah yeah so i would absolutely i mean all right first of all i'm not a parent right so i'm saying this incredibly theoretically (laughs) it's easy for me to do so um but still i would say you're the parent they're the child it's your responsibility to take charge of that um if your child came to you and said i couldn't be bothered going to school this week you wouldn't let them not go to school right you'd be sending them um and so i think even if they don't really want to you should encourage them to come to church make them come to church right one of one of the quotes that's that i've skipped out there This lady called Kenda Creasy Dean has written a lot about um, youth ministry in the state. She talks about parents and their role in influencing young people especially. She says, we teach young people baseball, but we expose them to faith. We provide sports coaching, exam tuition, but we blindly assume that religious identity will happen by osmosis, right? Then she says, the result is that young people who, we have young people who call themselves Christians, who grew up with Christian parents, who were regular participants in Christian congregations, yet who had no readily accessible faith vocabulary, few recognizable faith practices, and little ability to reflect on their lives religiously. So young people who had been exposed to Christian things but actually hadn't a clue whether or not they were really Christians. And she concludes, exposing young people to faith is no substitute for teaching it to them. Um, I think that is really important, that we've got to help parents be brave and say, this is who we are as a family, this is what we believe, you're part of our family, we go to church. And that might be really unpopular, but and it's easy for me to say. Sorry, there was another question just behind that, yeah. Well, good for you, first of all. Um, so yeah, the, the, that Bible Project website is worth checking out. I mean, it, it's good for giving people an introduction to the book. It doesn't actually read them the book. Um, there is a great audio Bible, but I can't remember exactly what the app is. There are different people who, um, who read different books of the Bible, uh, and they're, some of them are quite famous people. So I think like Denzel Washington reads Genesis in it, and he's like, in the beginning, God created the heavens. You know, so it's like, you know, grabs you straight away. It's brilliant, right? I'll, let me try and find out what that app is. And um, 
Yeah, and I'll I'll get your email address and yeah, try and figure that out. But thank you, for your question. Yeah, yeah, I think there's merit in that. Um, I know that Scripture Union, I think a few years ago, did produce like a game basically where you could like, you know, work your way through as a Bible character. I can't remember what the game was called, but I think that was the intent behind it that people who were really struggling to read but playing lots of games online could actually do something. I'm I'm not very familiar with those. I'm sure there are loads. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I think there is merit in it, right? Um, I would be concerned if that was a young person's staple diet. I mean, my my worry would just be slightly that a young person could be pulling the wool over somebody's eyes very handy, saying, "Mom, I'm going <laughs> going up to read my Bible here on my computer playing this game." You know? Yeah. So I I I have disagreements with people about this in our church. Um, I think it's better that they have a Bible. Um, mostly for the reason that actually, if I know what I'm like with my phone, if I was to have my Bible reading on my phone in church, the sermon's, what, 25, 30 minutes? You're going to get, what, maybe if you're a popular teenager, two or three notifications buzzing through onto your phone in that time. I just think it is a recipe for disaster in terms of distraction. Um, and I also think there's something about actually knowing your way about the Bible that's really important so that whenever it comes to, right, we're going to preach through lamentations, that you're not just typing lamentations into a search bar, that you know where to find it in the Bible, if that makes sense. I, I prefer having a physical copy of the Bible. I think that's really important. But I mean, like, you know, Bible on your phone's better than no Bible at all, I guess, too. So, And I use the He Reads Truth app sometimes in the mornings, um, but I prefer reading the actual Bible. Maybe if I could pray, would that be all right? great um, thank you so much for coming this stuff is really really important and I really appreciate you being here to take time to think about it let me pray for us and then we can finish um, Father we do thank you so much for our time together here this morning we thank you this morning for your word that it teaches us the truth about you but it also teaches us the truth about ourselves and Lord we know that when we come to think about these things we feel our own weakness we feel the weight of our own failure in these areas um so lord please forgive us for the times where we treat your word flippantly where we aren't quick to come to you in prayer um, and lord please help us to be better disciplined at this ourselves so that we can be better at equipping children and young people to be people who will love your word and love to meet with you in prayer um encourage these folks here as they go back to the different um, contexts that they find themselves in, whether that's helping children in their own homes to read the Bible and pray or young people in their churches to do this. Um, pray that in 20, 30 or 40 years time, the fruit of these things will be really significant and that the church of Jesus Christ will continue to be faithful to the gospel because of some of the things that we have thought about here this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.